0: Leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. In my opinion, these words of leadership guru John Maxwell give us the very best definition of leadership. Leadership is all about influencing people. Army leaders influence soldiers to ignore their fears and run boldly into the battle. Corporate leaders influence employees to give their all at the job every day. Political leaders influence their constituents to vote for them, support their cause, and trust their decisions. Wherever you find leadership, you find influence. And wherever you find someone with influence, you find a leader. That's why some of the greatest leaders in the world are women. Women have a great deal of influence in the lives of those around them. I mean, think about the influence that, that mothers have on their children. I don't know if you could fully measure how influential, how much influence a mother has on who or what their children become. I mean, this morning we heard just a, a few Ways that mothers influence just a few people. Now imagine that multiplied by thousands all over the earth. And we've all heard the old saying that behind every great man there stands a great woman. And probably no one in here, especially the women, would disagree with that statement. Several years ago I read a book uh, by a fellow named Tom Raynor that proved this point even more. In this book he interviewed several hundred people that had recently become Christians. And one of the things that he asked them was, what was the key thing? What was the number one influence in your life that led to you becoming a Christian? Among the, the, the men that had recently been saved, the number one influence was their wives. And after almost 16 years of marriage, I can honestly say that the person who has the most influence on my life is Kelly. Now, there is no question about whether or not a wife or mother has influence. The question is, what kind of influence do they have? And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at two women from the Bible that greatly influence the men in their lives. Uh, and these stories of these two women are found in Judges. One of the women was a negative influence, and she weakened a strong man. The other woman was a good influence, and she strengthened a weak man. The women I'm talking about are Delilah and Deborah. So, open your Bible to Judges chapter 16, first, verse 4, page 201 in your Pew Bibles. And when you find that, I'll ask you to stand on to honor the reading of God's Word. Judges 16 and 4. After it had happened that he, Samson, loved a woman in the valley of Of Sorek, whose name was Delilah, and the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, "Entice him, find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to to afflict him. And every one of us will give you eleven hundred pieces of silver." So Delilah said to Samson, "Please tell me where your great strength lies, and with what you may be bound to afflict you." And Samson said to her. If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with him. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when touched by fire. So the secret of his strength was not yet known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, You have mocked me and told me lies. Now, please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore, Delilah took the new ropes, took new ropes, and bound him with them, and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room, and he broke them off his arms like thread. Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me now by what Tell me now, tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. So she wove it tightly within the batten of the womb and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. Then she said to him, how can you say you love me when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death, that he told her all his heart. And he said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's wombs. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart and she sinned and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, come up once more. For he has told me all his heart. The Lord of the Philistines came up to her and brought her money in, her hand, in their hand. She lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave the seven locks off his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed for him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. And brought him down to Gaza, and they bound him with brawn fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. The title of the message this morning is A Woman's Influence. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your grace and goodness. We thank you for an opportunity to gather and to study your word, to sing your praise. We thank you, God, for your word that guides us. We thank you for your spirit that speaks to us. We thank you for Jesus who died for us to give us the hope that we have. Father, today we we come and we want to learn from your word. We we want to be people that would do Your will and live the way that You'd want us to live. So I ask You today to speak to our hearts with Your Word. Lord, let Your Holy Spirit guide us and open our hearts to receive great and wonderful things from Your Word. Challenge us where we need it. Strengthen us where we need it. Encourage us where we need it. But God, above all, work in our lives and let us know today that You're here and You're at work in us and that You love us and You care for us. I ask You to fill me with Your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me not to be a hindrance in any way to what You once said. We love You and we praise You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen men. You may be seated. Now, my original intent with this message was just to compare the story of these two women and simply ask, are you Deborah or are you Delilah? But the more I thought about that, the more I did not like that idea uh, for several reasons. For one thing, when you compare people in this fashion, you try to put them into a box, you try to put them in one of two categories. But the reality is few people always qualify as a Delilah or as a Deborah all the time. Secondly, If after comparing the two, you find out you're more like Delilah than you're Deborah, what are you supposed to do about it? There's not a lot of hope in that. Simple comparison doesn't do anything to bring any sort of change into our lives. And all it would really accomplish would bring great discouragement to the life of someone who found they were a little bit like Delilah. And lastly, the more I read and thought about these stories, the more I wanted to bring out the issue of influence. Both of these women had tremendous amount of influence on the men in the stories. Delilah influenced Samson in a negative way and brought about his downfall, while Deborah influenced Barak in a positive way that made him more than he would have been otherwise. Being able to influence someone brings a great deal of responsibility. We should always strive to be positive influences that build people up and not negative influences that tear people down. Now, most of us would like to say that we are positive influences on the world around us, but are we really? This morning, what we're going to do is first look at the story of Delilah to see some of the things that she did to be a negative influence on Samson, to weaken the strong man. Then we're going to look at the story of Deborah to learn some things that we can do to be a positive influence and strengthen those around us. Now, if you noticed in your handout, there's like ten points. Don't be afraid. It's not nearly as long as it looks. It's kind of an optical illusion, like those calendars where you can see the the whale jumping and things like that. It's not nearly as long as it looks. Um, The story of Samson and Delilah is, of course, one of the most famous stories in the Bible. As we look at the story of Delilah, I'm going to give you six questions to ask yourself, to honestly answer and determine if you're being a negative influence. Now, men, just because this is Mother's Day and I'm primarily speaking to women, that doesn't mean you get to disengage your brain and take a nap. You need to think through these things every bit as much as your wife does. So here we go. Question one. What's more important, people or possessions? What is more important, people or possessions? Now, the lords of the Philistines hated Samson. and They wanted to bring about his destruction. And so they found the woman that Samson loved and they offered her eleven hundred pieces of silver each in order to find out what made Samson so strong, what could be done to weaken him so that they could destroy him. Now, eleven hundred pieces of silver is quite a bit of money. One of the commentaries I had said that to be around twenty five thousand dollars. And if that's twenty five thousand dollars for eleven hundred pieces of silver, that is twenty five thousand from each of the five lords of the Philistines. That is a a fortune. That is just a ton of money. And what we learn in this is that after they offer her this money, right, you find out what in verse five, you find out where his strength is. And what we can do to overpower him. How we may bind him and afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah says to Samson, tell me where your great strength lies. And with what you may be bound to afflict you. Now I'm not going to get into Samson today. Right? Because you would think that would be a warning sign, right? I mean, for most of us, that would be a warning sign. Not Samson. But I'm not going to get into that. Instead, I just want to point out that once she was offered money. To afflict this guy that she was in a relationship with, it seems. She instantly began to find out, what can I do to weaken him? Any any desire and any love for Samson she may have had. It was overpowered by her love of stuff. Her love of possessions. And everything she did in this chapter. Everything else that she does. It was motivated by her desire for the money the Philistine lords were going to give her. And we would say, I'm never anything. I would never do anything like Delilah did. The fact of the matter is the Bible warns us about the love of money. It says, but those who are rich, warn those who are rich, uh, those who desire to be rich fall in temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which many have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, obviously, this passage describes Delilah. Her love of money was at the root of all the evil that she did in this passage. She wasn't concerned about what happened to Samson's life or soul so long as she got the money and the stuff that she wanted. One of the overall teachings of Scripture is that we should love people and use money. And as long as we have that attitude, then money really isn't a problem. Possessions really aren't an issue. The issue comes when that gets turned around. And we begin to love possessions and we begin to use people. Now we begin to see people as a tool to get what we want. The desire for more and more possessions drives people to use one another to acquire what they want. Now, sadly, this even happens in marriage relationships. But Now, hopefully we'd all say that, that people are more important than possessions. But is that, is that really true? I mean, what would happen in your marriage your husband lost his job and could not provide any longer? What if his health broke down and was suddenly no longer able to work? Would your love stay true? Would you continue to stay faithful? Or would your commitment stay strong only as long as you could have the possessions and the lifestyle that you wanted? The moment those were gone, that fell by the wayside. Listen, I I hear stories. Not often, but frequently about couples who one falls into a a long, debilitating illness. And because of that and because of the cost and because of the difficulty that comes with that, the other spouse leaves, abandons them in their time of need. That is a terrible, terrible thing to be. The kind of influence we will have on others in a big way will be determined by whether or not people or possessions are more important. Secondly, do I work against him? Throughout the entire story, Delilah is actively working against Samson. Right. Look at verse 6. Tell me where your great strength lies. And what may be done to to afflict you? Samson tells her, They bind me with seven fresh bowstrings. So they bring her seven fresh bowstrings, and she afflicts him. She ties him up and lets them in her house and sicks them on her, thinking that will be his death. It doesn't work. So again she asks him, What can be done to bind you? So he tells her something again. So she gets new ropes this time and she ties him up and she lets Philistines in again. And she says, Samson, they're upon you. But once again, Samson has not told her the truth. So she asks him again. And he says, if you take my hair and, and, and weave it in with the loom, I'll be weakened. So he she does that. She weaves it in. He wakes up and he shakes it free. It's still not true. So she asks him again. How can you say that you love me? Why won't you tell me where your great strength lies? She keeps on and on. until he tells her his heart and he tells her everything. So eventually she cuts his hair or has someone else come in and cut his hair and weakens him to the point that he can be destroyed. She's actively working against him throughout the entire thing. That's, that is all she's doing is trying to do what is harmful and detrimental to him. He may not work against your husband by working for his enemies that will eventually gouge out his eyes. But it's easy to work against one another in other areas. Right. For instance, in finances. And he's trying to save money, but you're doing all that you can to spend it. Kids. He tells them they, they cannot be a part of something, but, but you tell them they can as long as dad doesn't find out. Involvement in the church. He wants to be more involved in the church, but you find other things that need to be done during that time. Commitment to Christ. He wants to do more as far as family devotions and the like, but you'd rather watch Real Housewives of Orange County. Uh, and, And there's there are all kinds of ways, limitless ways in which you could be working against your husband. But the result is always the same. He's trying to go in one direction and you're trying to go in the other. And the Bible asks the question, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? So constantly pulling in the opposite direction is a negative influence. It is a way to to beat down, to overcome. And it's certainly a negative way to influence one another. Next question. Am I a manipulator? Delilah plays on Samson's emotions to manipulate him. Right. This is especially evident in verses 10. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what, what may or what, what you may be bound with. But right. notice how she's, she's trying to act like her feelings are hurt. I can't believe you would lie to me. I mean, granted, you tell me what would bound you and make you be afflicted, and it happens, but still I can't believe you'd lie to me. Verse 13. Until now, you have mocked me, told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. Right? And again, you've you made fun of me. You're making me feel bad about myself by not telling me the truth. Don't, don't you trust me? And then in verse 15. How can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. Really, you you say you love me, but you won't tell me this one little thing. I just, I don't feel loved. I don't feel special. Manipulators take advantage of others. If you're a manipulator, you want to control others for your own benefit. And manipulation is a negative form of influence. And as we see with Delilah, many manipulate others by using their emotions against them. Right. Many would say things like, manipulators would say things like, if you love me, then you would. Right. To use their emotions as Delilah did. Or, or a manipulator might say, I wish you were more like. Right. Manipulation by comparison. You're not as good as somebody else's husband. You're not as good as they are. I wish you were better and more like them. Or you never, or you always. Manipulation by condemnation. I mean, think about that. You you just never do anything around here. You always take advantage of me. The reality is very few people ever, never, always, few people are that consistent with anything. But we manipulate through condemnation to make them feel bad. So they'll do what we want them to do. It's influence in a very negative way. Now, manipulators, in my experience, never admit to being manipulators because you can't put a positive spin on that. But God has a word for manipulators. Proverbs says, the Lord's light penetrates the human spirit, exposing every hidden motive. People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. See, the thing about a manipulator is it's really hard to prove manipulation. And so a manipulator can say all kinds of things to cover up the fact that they're a manipulator. They can they can say, I don't feel trusted when you do this. They can say, well, that's just honestly how I feel. And they can say all of these things in an effort to cover it up, not not willing to admit the motivations, the hidden motivations of their heart. And, and through that, manipulators are good at manipulating because people largely don't recognize it. And won't say it. And can't see the hidden motives of the heart. But God's message to the manipulator is, I know what you're doing. I see the hidden motives of your heart. I know everything about why you're doing, why you do it. And from what I can tell in the descriptions given here, and from what it says in other places, I don't believe God is pleased with the manipulator. Manipulation is a negative and an ungodly way to manipulate others. Next, do I nag until I get my way? Look at what it says in verse 16. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death that he told her his heart. Delilah kept on and on. Until Samson could not stand it any longer. So he told her his secret just to get her to leave him alone. And I like how the New Living Translation says it. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. Now I know the the word nag can be an inflammatory word. But it is the word used by the New Living Translation. It's an accurate description of what is going on in this passage and what many people do. This isn't the only place that the idea of nagging is mentioned in the Bible. Proverbs mentioned nagging several times. None of it good. "Said a quarrelsome wife is annoying as a constant dripping on a rainy day. Stopping her complaints is like trying to stop the wind or hold back something with greased hands. Proverbs 21 and 9, the message paraphrase says, Better to live alone in a tumble down shack than share a mansion with a nagging wife. The Life Application Study Bible says about this quarrelsome nagging. A steady stream of unwanted advice is a form of torture. People nag because they think they're not getting through, but nagging hinders communication more than it helps. When tempted to engage in this destructive habit, stop and examine your motives. Are you more concerned about yourself getting your way, being right, than about the person you're pretending to help? If you're truly concerned about other people, think of a more effective way to get through to them. Surprise them with words of patience and love and see what happens. Now, I'm not... Using this as an opportunity to take pot shots at women this morning. I don't ever do that. The truth is that while nagging may influence people to do what you want them to do. It is a negative way to influence them. It is not a godly way to accomplish things. The next question. Do I share his secrets with others? Now, three times... Samson tells Delilah something privately. Be tied up with bowstrings not yet tied or dried. Be tied up with new cords. He can be, uh, have his head put into the loom and have his head shaven. And then three times she runs and tells that secret to someone else. It is a huge violation of trust. Tell someone else your husband's secrets. The Bible calls someone who tells secrets a gossip. A tellbearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. A gossip goes about telling secrets. Don't hang around with chatterers. In normal conditions, husbands and wives know more about each other than anyone else in the world. You're together as often as you are, you love each other as much as you should. Committed to one another, you know the very best and the very worst about each other. And one of the absolute worst violations of this trust is to tell those secrets to others. And if you have ever had someone betray your trust in this way, then you know the negative influence this has on your life. Sharing secrets... It's a negative and ungodly way to influence others. And then finally, do I enjoy seeing him fail? After keeping on and on, we're told in verse 20 that she finally finds out. She cuts his hair. Says, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep. Said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. The Philistines took him, put out his eyes brought him down to Gaza, bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. Delilah finally gets to see the fruit of all that she's been working for throughout this entire chapter. Samson's downfall. As sad as it is, there are some people who enjoy seeing other people fail. Now, you say, well, that's not true. Surely that's not the case. But I mean... If, if, as people, we didn't enjoy seeing other people fail, TMZ wouldn't exist. I mean, largely, the reason people go to celebrity gossip sites isn't to find out what they ate for lunch. It's to find out who's blown it recently, what big stupid thing they've been doing. We kind of enjoy seeing people brought down at times. And sadly, this often happens even in marriage. Sadly, there are some who enjoy seeing their spouses fail. Kelly and I once had friends who fit this bill perfectly. They got a great deal of pleasure from seeing others fail at things they attempted. They would mock each other over it, laugh about it, tell everybody about it. It was To be in the conversation was uncomfortable, to say the least. Not surprisingly, they're no longer married. This attitude will negatively influence our spouse in such a way they will never attempt anything because they fear the mocking and the humiliation that will follow. It has a negative influence upon them. Now, if you answered yes to one or more of these questions, you may be a negative influence on the people in your life. And this may be a total shock to you. And that's okay, because now you know. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to continue being a negative influence, acting as though it were okay? Going to continue to be Delilah? Or are you going to work to being a positive influence? Turn now to Judges 4. I'm going to look at the story of Deborah and learn four things to do to be a positive influence. Number one, encourage him to serve the Lord. Look at verse 6 of chapter 4. <clears throat> now she, Deborah, sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoham, uh, from Kadesh in Naphtalia, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Take with you ten thousand men, the sons of Naphtali, and the sons of Zebulon. And against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. And I love what Deborah does in these verses. Because if you look at verse 6, has not the Lord God of Israel commanded? Now, I have always taken this to mean Barak already knew what he was supposed to do. Barak was kind of a fearful guy. And and he already had been sort of told by God in one way or another, according to my understanding of this passage. And he knew that he was supposed to lead the army. And he knew that he was supposed to go into battle. And he knew that he was supposed to, to give, that God was going to give him a victory. But he he wasn't going to do it. He was fearful. He was afraid. He, he wasn't willing to step out and try that. And then Deborah comes along. And she doesn't start nagging him into doing it. She doesn't manipulate him to get him to do it. Instead, she encourages him. She she tries to encourage him to serve the Lord. Do what you know God wants you to do. That's what she does. She's an encourager. And we're told in several places to encourage one another. My favorite, maybe the most well-known is Hebrews 10. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love. And good works now this is often this passage is in, in with the Hebrews 10:25 where it says, "Let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together." And it tells us some of what the church should do when we gather together. But it says the, the word "consider," it means to give attention to one another, uh, to give continuous care to one another, to watch over one another. Right? And the idea is that we're to care enough about each other that we're aware of their struggles. We're aware uh, of when they're fearful. And we're involved and we see when they're discouraged, they begin to drift in their relationship to God and their commitment to Christ. And so what we do is we go to them and we do what we can to stir them up so that they would be active and involved in doing what they know they're supposed to do. Now, the word stir, it really carried with the idea of entice, of, of excite, right? It's not to go and berate them. It's not to go and belittle them and shame them into it. It's to encourage them, you can do it. You know what God wants you to do. God is faithful. Right now, this is we are to encourage them and stir them up to love and good works. Right, love for God, love for others. Do the things that you know God wants you to do. Now, this is in context of the church. The church should be to one another. But I'm convinced that anything the church is to be to one another and to do for one another, it always has to start at home. I mean, all of the one another's forgive one another, love one another, serve one another, be patient with one another. These things are, are the way at church. This is what we're supposed to be and do. But oh my friends, this has to start in the home. What does it say to anyone if I love you one another, but I don't love my wife to one another? What does it say if I'll encourage you when you're discouraged? But I won't encourage her when she's discouraged. We, whatever we are to do. For each other as a church, first do it at home. We need people to encourage us in our service and devotion to the Lord. We all do. There are various times in all of our lives where we need this. And the person that should do it the most, it should be the person we have committed to living our lives with. Person we are around day in and day out. That should be the primary encourager in our lives. Encourage one another to serve the Lord. Secondly, do things to boost his confidence. Now we've mentioned Barak was afraid. And that's why he's not going. Now look at what it says in verse 8. And Barak said to her, I will go if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go, I will, no, I will not go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in this journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak was a fearful man. He was afraid to do what God called him to do. And he needed someone to go with him. And so, again, Deborah has a choice. She could manipulate him, she could belittle him, she could nag him, or she could find a way to boost his confidence. And so what she does to boost his confidence is she goes with him. Let me say something that to the wives that I'm sure your husbands will not tell you. Every man needs his confidence boosted at one time or another. And the person who can do this best is his wife. As a wife, you have more power to boost the confidence of your husband than anyone else in the world. And as a wife, you have more power to crush the confidence of your husband than anyone else in the world. Let me give you an example. Let's say of everything that your husband does around the house, There's three things, but he doesn't do to the standard that you like. And so every time he doesn't do them to the standard that you like, you you say something. Not mean, not hateful, but you say something. Now, as a woman, here's what you're thinking. You're thinking two things. One, well, if he would just do it right, I wouldn't have to say anything. Secondly, you're saying, well, I didn't say anything about the other things, so he needs to understand I've done those things right. Can I get an amen, ladies? Amen? Amen. But I'm going to tell you, here's what your husband's thinking. Jeez, I can't do anything right around this place. Amen, guys? You don't have to answer. I know you have to go home later. I'll take all the heat for it. But that's the way it is. It's just the difference in the way we look at things. And it is, I think, easy for a wife to crush her husband's confidence when she can easily boost it. The Bible says we're to build each other up. Proverbs 10 and 32 says... The lips of the godly speak helpful words. but The mouth of the wicked speak perverse words. Ephesians says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Thessalonians says, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. It's not safe like for me personally. Kelly's words have more weight and more power than anyone else's in the world. Let's say after church today, everyone goes out and says that was the worst sermon I've ever heard. I don't do that. That would hurt my feelings. But let's say you did. That would be weighty on me and it would be tough. But if we got in the van on the way home and Kelly said, man, that was the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. My confidence would be boosted. Her words would mean far more than your words. On the flip side, if after the service today, every one of you walked out and say, man, that was the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. Then we got in the van and Kelly said, have you been taking cough medicine? Did you hit your head? I mean, what's wrong? That You just rambled and didn't make a lick of sense all day. Her words would weigh more than your words did. And her discouragement would cut much deeper than your encouragement. There are times in everyone's life where they need their confidence boosted. We all do. We all struggle at times. We all feel inadequate and insecure. And we need someone to boost our confidence. We don't need someone to belittle us and crush us. And the person who should do that best and most should be the person that we have committed to living our lives with our lives with one another as husband and wife, we should be constantly boosting and encouraging one another. Next, encourage him to trust the Lord. And you look at verse 12. And they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoham, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron. And all the people who were with him from those lands, I'm not even going to try to pronounce, to the river Kishon. Okay. Now, as we always see in the book of Judges, Israel is pretty well outmanned. Uh, They don't have 900 chariots of iron. They have 10,000 men, but they don't have chariots of iron. That would be like 10,000 light infantrymen going to battle against 500 Sherman tanks Uh, as highly motivated and as high-speed, low-drag as infantrymen are, they would have no chance against the Sherman tanks. They would be crushed and destroyed. Light soldiers going against chariots is the same thing. And at this point, at this point, Barack is still thinking. And what do you think would have happened had Deborah called him over, looked at that and said, whoo hoo It's a big old army. Look at that one dude over there. He's huge. Holy cow, his sword is bigger than your head. Well, anything let me tell your family in case you don't make it back? What do you think would have happened then? I think we would be reading about Barak, the fastest running judge of all Israel. I don't think we would read about Barak, the soldier that went into battle. But that's not what she did. Instead, look at what she does in verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up! For this is the day which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. Right. She just tells him, You can do it. Not you, God. God's for you. God's called you. God'll equip you. God'll enable you. You can do it. Keep trusting the Lord. She set an example for us to follow. Right. Isaiah says, Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. Before Solomon ascended the throne of Israel, David told him, Be strong and of a good courage, and do not fear or be dismayed, for the Lord your God, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you till you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. When you see your husband start to doubt, fear, become discouraged, be the one to encourage them. Trust in the Lord. I'll say, again from personal experience, this is most important coming from your spouse. This is one of the things Kelly excels at in our lives. Because I can be like Barack. I can be fearful, timid, discouraged. Kelly always will come and say, Has God ever failed you yet? No. You think He's going to start now? No. She's always encouraging me to trust the Lord. Everyone. Everyone goes through times where doubts assail them. Everyone goes through times when it seems as if there is no way to overcome. Everyone goes through times when they're afraid. And when we go through those times, we need someone to encourage us to trust the Lord. And the person who should do it the most should be the person we have committed to live our lives with. And then finally, faithfully serve the Lord yourself. Look at verse 4 and 5. This is where we find Deborah at the beginning of the story. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel, The mountains of Ephraim and the children of Israel came to her for judgment. We find Deborah at the beginning already faithfully serving the Lord herself. And this doesn't change throughout the entire story. She didn't encourage Barak to do something she wasn't already doing. She didn't encourage Barak to do something she wasn't willing to do. She was personally involved in serving the Lord and doing what she knew God wanted her to do. She was faithfully serving the Lord. It is very common to find one spouse, a husband or a wife, who would say, I would serve the Lord if my spouse did. The problem with this is that your relationship to the Lord, your service to the Lord, is not dependent on anyone but you. You cannot blame someone else, even your spouse, if your relationship with Jesus is not as it should be. You cannot blame someone else, even your spouse, if you are not serving Jesus as you should be. In fact, the Bible says one of the best ways for a wife to help her husband is to have a solid relationship with Christ and to be serving Him herself. It says that your godly lives will speak to them more than any words. And they'll be won over by watching your pure and godly behavior. And sadly, Many times it is the husband who is not faithfully serving the Lord. They have not stepped up and become the spiritual leaders of the home that they should be. And that is a problem. And it is a terrible thing that does not keep you from serving the Lord. The best thing that you can do to influence your spouse to serve Christ is to serve Him yourself. Let Him see your devotion. Let him see your faith. Let him see the fact that you love Jesus above all else. It is very hard, nearly impossible, to encourage someone to do something you yourself are not doing. Sometimes the best way to influence someone to serve the Lord is just by letting them faithfully see that we are serving the Lord. So ladies, let me ask You influence your your husbands and your children. That's without question. Are you a positive or negative influence? Do you encourage them to serve the Lord? Do you do things to boost their confidence? Do you encourage them to trust the Lord? Are you faithfully serving the Lord yourself? And men, let me ask you the same things. You're an influence on your wife. And you're an influence on your children. What kind of influence are you? Do you encourage them to serve the Lord? Do you encourage them to trust the Lord? Do you do things to boost their confidence? Are you faithfully serving the Lord yourself? But this isn't a message for any of us to take and point to someone else and say, I hope you listen today. I've talked mainly to women. This message applies to parents, men and women, children. Everyone, because we're all having influence on people around us. Are we a good one? or are we a negative one? There is a need in our day, a desperate need, for men and women to be godly, for men and women to determine they will be a positive influence on those in their lives. Parents, are you willing to commit yourself to doing what it takes to be a godly influence on your children? Wives, are you willing to do what it takes to be a positive influence on your husbands? Husbands, are you willing to do what it takes to be a positive influence on your wives? Now, you may have been a bad influence up to this point and think there's no way to undo what's been done. There's some truth to that. You can't go back. There are no do-overs in life. Through the grace of God, you can change the kind of influence you are. The power of Christ within you, you can be a positive influence from this point on. If you're willing to submit yourself to the Lordship of Christ, be determined to do what He wants you to do. To do what it takes to be the kind of godly influence you ought to be. decision is yours. What will you do? Let's stand.